Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Hi, Sean. Hi, Dominic. Thanks for joining us back again on Culture Bites. Thanks for having me. So I've got a question from a listener. So they wrote in and had a specific question around culture. And it was, how do you do culture and culture change in a unionized environment? So a bit of a um, bit of a tricky one, this, and, and it's an issue lots of organizations deal with. Could be unionized. The other thought I had was around a highly regulated environment as well. Yeah. Um, some, some similarities. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, before you added to the question, I was about to say that's a good question, which is one way of saying, actually, I don't have an answer straight away. But let me, before I answer that question, just make sure that we're thinking on the same wavelength around unions. I think typically when somebody thinks of a union or a unionist, Mm. they're thinking the sort of traditional old-fashioned cloth cap, industrial, maybe trades, manufacturing worker. Mm. I looked up some stats this morning just out of sheer curiosity, and firstly, only 14.5% of the workforce belong to a union in Australia. Mm. In the private sector, that's actually 10%. And so what's happened since the 1970s is a shift away from the blue-collar type of union with the shifts in manufacturing and all the rest of it to Mm. professional services, Mm. where now the vast majority of union members uh, call themselves managers or professionals as opposed to uh, operator or trades or something like that. So uh, this research made a very interesting comment, which I will quote because I wrote it down. It said, union membership is increasingly confined to one area of the economy, professional and semi-professional employment in publicly funded organisations. So that's the hospitals and ambulance and all of these publicly funded organisations that have unions in them. So it's quite interesting when you think about it that way because now the average unionist is actually a nurse or a teacher or um, an AMBO And uh, I think that might change our thinking just a little bit from the cloth cap stuff. Look, again, for research in terms of organizational change and unions, one of the more interesting research studies I read was based in the United States, and they looked at uh, union companies versus non-union companies that they could be reasonably well compared and found the opposite of what you'd think. And the organizations that were non-union actually had higher rates of employee involvement, uh, higher rates of employee empowerment, more effective teamwork, and more career development for their employees than the companies that were unionized. And so you would expect the opposite because unions are about getting career development going, getting people involved. The whole idea of a union is to get people involved in the enterprise. And it, it would appear to be the exact opposite. What several other research studies confirm about this is that where organisational change and organisational culture change is uh, sort of very important nowadays in organisations, it's significantly less so in unions. So I guess, again, uh, a comment I made in one of the other podcasts is that whereas organisations are looking more and more for change over stability, Unions almost by their definition encourage stability rather than change. Mm. So that's an interesting finding about the yeah, it is, isn't it? You know, non-union and more involved yeah. and so on. Which yeah. I guess, well, 
it makes some sense, I guess, actually, because do you think it's that employers are just kind of, they're scared to... Well, I mean, there is another stat that's worth uh, saying because, yes, I think that maybe not scared but anxious Mm. because under the Fair Work Act in Australia, employers are obligated to pay the rates that are union negotiated even if they're non-union staff. So uh, this is one of the reasons for the reduction in membership in unions in this country, which is now one of the lowest in the world, by the way. Is that right? Uh, is that 60% of the workforce work under collective agreements that have been negotiated by unions. But remember I said earlier, only 14.5% of the workforce actually belong to a union. Ah. So 14.5% are paying the fees for unions to achieve what the other 55.5% are getting for free, basically. And so you don't have to belong to a union, but you get the benefits associated with being part of a union because of the Fair Work Act. So it just creates little incentive for people to join unions. Uh-huh. And of course, the union membership has dropped dramatically since the 1970s for two main reasons, I suspect. Certainly the literature seems to suggest this, is that, the um, again, the changing impact of uh, unions on organisations as organisations seek change and the, the changing structure of industry. I mean, when I started in consulting in the 1970s, 80% of, 87% of people were employed in the manufacturing sector. Now right. I think it's 17%. So that's huge structural change. So it's changed. But I guess I guess for a company, if your particular sector is unionised, unionized then that yeah. is your reality, yeah. right? So, yeah. so there, I mean, that's why it, it's, it's a very good question that somebody's asking about the impact of unions. Because again, most of the research unfortunately shows that unions have a negative impact on organisational effectiveness, which is again it's possibly a third reason why union membership has gone down so much is that the members don't see themselves getting a hell of a lot out of it. So what this means, it, it behoves the union movement to uh, change with the times as every organisation is. And you are actually seeing that in Australia. I mean, you're seeing more uh, union officials being women than men. It's one change, so it's a gender balance thing. And also fighting not just for the traditional hourly rate kind of thing, but parental leave and um, oh. conditions for working parents, et cetera, et cetera. So they have the capacity, and they always did have the capacity to be agents for social change, which has got to be good for everybody. So anyway, coming back to it, un- unfortunately, the research does not create a positive answer for the person who's asking the question, because it would seem to be that they don't help with organisational effectiveness. So then it comes down to, so if we are in an organisation that has experienced considerable change, we want to work in our culture, et cetera, and we have a highly unionised shop going oh. here, the obvious answer, and it's not necessarily the easy answer, is to look for ways of getting the union involved. Oh. And so as a consultant over the years, I've been involved in major reorganisation projects and unionised organisations. And the more you can get the union folks in part of the process as part of the project, not in an adversarial Mm. stance. And this is the risk, and again, another contributor to union membership as it exists today, that if in times of change a union simply takes an adversarial stance, then it's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to achieve anything, and it will just simply be ignored. And of course, I mean, it's worth noting the economic effects in the country at the moment on poor union representation is we have one, whilst we have one of the fastest growing economies in the world, we have the slowest growing wage rate over the years since the uh, 1990s. And so that's led to all sorts of economic things that the politicians talk about today, like income disparity and 
low wages, uh, not factored for inflation, et cetera. Mm. That's another story. So get, I mean, it's the age-old truism, ED equals Q times A, effective decisions equals the quality of the decision multiplied by the acceptance of it. And so if you want the acceptance of, of the union, get them involved from the get-go. And so that's a pretty classic change technique anyway exactly. in any organisation is getting yeah. people involved. But I yeah. guess it's extra focus and probably obviously a different yeah. way of doing it yeah. with a union, but it still stands the test of time. Yeah, but I think if the union is open to not simply being adversarial, then that gives you a great opportunity. If from the get-go the union simply wants to be adversarial, then it now becomes a way of working, uh, strategies for working around that. And one of the ways in which I found that works is with industrial safety. So this is sort of sounding somewhat manipulative, but it is a, a horrid reality when unions are adversarial and just start from a no, we won't do that kind of mentality. So when you are undertaking an organisational change process and trying to change culture, et cetera, it's inevitable that part of your change process will be we need to involve our people more. We need to give people more influence, more delegation, higher empowerment, et cetera, Uh down the organisation. And so that means getting people involved with higher autonomy in their jobs and decision-making groups and problem-solving groups and all that sort of stuff. So whilst at the managerial or office level we might be talking about productivity, I found over the years one of the great ways to get that through the union situation is by emphasising safety because safety is part of every union's charter. So again, I'm assuming an adversarial scenario here, so it's not a truism, but in that adversarial scenario, if you go to the union saying we want to get them working in groups to increase their influence over productivity improvement, you might have a bit of an argument on your hands. But if you go to them around safety and improving industrial safety or office safety, whatever it might be, then health and well-being are in every charter of every union. So oh. they really, in effect, have no choice but to go with it. And then they'll see the benefits. I mean, this is the beauty of it. If you do these things smart and the union is smart enough, they will see the benefits coming back from it. They'll see their members saying, I actually appreciate this stuff and they will step away from that adversarial stance. Right, so it's about identifying common ground, basically. What's an issue that we can all get behind? Because I think safety is saying that everyone supports for lots of reasons. But So yeah, so it's finding something that we can all get behind and then actually working towards that. So the best way to treat paranoia is not to be paranoid. So if you have this adversarial stance from the, the union, don't immediately go in with a leave them out or an adversarial stance because all you're doing is reinforcing that behaviour theirs and convincing them that they are right to be adversarial in the first place. Mm. And so so if we find some common ground, and, and actually what I like about that is, as we know, things like safety are an outcome of culture. So yeah. to get better safety outcomes, you need to build that constructive culture, yep. which will then also Correct. have impacts on all these other things, Correct. productivity and whatnot. Yeah. And typically for safety, I mean, all too often, I mean, again, I've talked to hundreds if not thousands of people on factory floors over the years and they talk about quote unquote some idiot from head office coming us to tell us how mm. to do things safely and I mean the people who know best how to do the job are the people doing it they've just never been asked to think about it so mm. it's a fundamental law of organisational development so we've found over the years we get people to think about what are the issues if there happen to be chemical leaks or uh, hazards in the workplace I mean they'll figure it out if you give them the time and the freedom to do it. And mm. I'll come up with a damn sight better answer than the expert can. Mm. And what I often go back to as well with saying like unions is that at the end of the day, people are people, whether they're in a union or not, it's kind of irrelevant. Yeah. 
And so what motivates people is still the same? Yes and no. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> this is where the unions, yes, the, the no part, so let me deal with that. The downside of a relationship with a union is when the people in the union are either A, dysfunctional, which is now just an organisational development issue for that union, or B, political. Mm. And in Australia in particular, there's a strong relationship between getting into state or federal government and the Labour Party and having been a union Mm -hmm. person. And so for many, it's about getting their name on the front page of the paper Mm. so that their name becomes familiar when that voting form comes out and anywhere between a year and 10 years' time when they stand. So that's unfortunate. And again, any organisation dealing with unions that have highly political aspirations for their senior people have to develop strategies to work around that. And the other option, option A, where the people are dysfunctional, that again is just the same rules where you're dealing with people that are not dealing with information in a constructive way. You keep looking for constructive ways to feed them information and get them involved. But at the end of the day, you know, it's their responsibility. Mm. And so what else, like what I like, instantly think of when I think of kind of working with the unions, does it take options off the table? So when we're working on culture, you know, we know the We've got the causal factors, and if you want to brush yeah. up on those, you can listen yeah. to the uh, the podcast on causal factors. So are there certain ones that maybe that come in that we can use and certain ones that are taken off the table? Well, certainly nothing amongst the 31, uh, 31 causal factors you'd take off the table because they're really about how to get how people, or getting people involved, putting structures together that encourage that involvement, HR systems that reinforce constructive behaviour job designs that give people a sense of responsibility and autonomy, great communication throughout the organisation and fantastic leadership. So you certainly don't want to get rid of those. I think it's really a case of how you involve the people and that comes down to employee involvement, influence, empowerment and in the context of the causal factors is how the structure works, not what the structure looks like. So just as we develop strategies for how do we involve people on the factory floor or the office floor or whatever, so too, it's worth putting some effort and time into thinking about how do we involve the union folks? Like, what are the hot buttons for them? What are, what are their anxieties likely to be? What are they likely to think positively about? What are they likely to be negative about? And how do we develop strategies to deal with that? Mm. What about, so, you know, reward and recognition is one of the one of the causal factors, but when you add money into that mix, is maybe something that doesn't work with the union. So how do you deal with that? Yeah, well, this is, this is uh, of course, a constraint on most organisations if they have a union agreement, an EBA or something like that, whereas they can't reward excellent performance because they pay award Standard. wages. So yep. if that's what you're getting at with the question, I see that as being a limiting issue on organisations. On the other hand, I mean, unions exist to give a fair outcome for its members, and in Australia, all those people who aren't members, so not taking that away from them, but there should be more latitude in uh, banded pay scales and those kinds of things in these agreements that there is an award rate, if you like, but if Dominic is performing well above the the average, let's say, there's opportunity to reward him with a higher salary or some sort of bonus or something like that. Mm. Again, that does not need to be a hell of a lot of money. It can just something that says you did well here is recognition. Mm. Which could be the other way about it. I've seen in, because a lot of government organizations are pretty similar in that that respect. And so what a lot of them do with that kind of causal factor is go more to the recognition 
piece yeah. of that R&R. Yeah. And so it's a lot of, you know, feedback, I guess, and recognizing, hey, Sean, you did a great yeah. job on that sort yeah. of stuff. Well, again, there's been, I say to people like local government, these not-for-profit organizations that are bound by industry awards, as you can give monetary rewards outside of the award, like a movie tickets or a lunch voucher or something like that. Again, it's just something that says, I know you did a great job on that, and I'm using this as a way of saying thank you. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And so I guess it's part of it's just been a bit more inventive, maybe, yep. With, yep. Some, with some of these causal factors, Always. right? So yep. I can't think of what else you would introduce beyond those 31 causal factors, but you just need to perhaps think from a different perspective. I mean, again, one of the uh, things that we've done in the past in our consulting role is to go to the unions and talk about their need to make collective decisions on behalf of their members. And the company has sponsored training for the senior people in those unions on problem-solving methodology. Mm. So uh, using a simulation like a desert survival or whatever as a vehicle to getting to, look, this is how you make decisions, and is that an effective process or not? And here is an effective process around decision-making. And that's another way of getting them involved because they see the power of of, of collecting information, looking at alternatives, evaluating alternatives and all of these good problem process, problem-solving process steps rather than just jumping to a conclusion and then looking to support that conclusion. And we have found where we've done that, and again, I reiterate this at the sponsorship of the company, it seems to have created a closer relationship. Mm, so it's, because I guess that's of benefit to yeah. to them personally yep. too. Yep. And that's kind of back to that common ground stuff or, exactly. or mutually beneficial yep. stuff, which is... Yep. You know, in the union's interest yep. as well. Yep. What about Sean? And this may be a, a blend of union and other. There's some professions where you've got professionals and they identify with their profession perhaps more than the <laughs> organization. So thinking yep. of doctors, thinking of yep. university lecturers or, or researchers. Yeah. Ones like that where there's actually a kind of industry or profession culture, if you like, or yep. identity, yep. which almost supersedes that of the organization. Yep. Is that the same thing or is it different? Well, I mean, it's something that we encounter a lot. So whenever we do a hospital, an ambulance authority or fire authority, mm. they tend to have these organizations that employ professionals, they tend to have somewhat aggressive defensive cultures because the people see themselves as being independent of the organization and almost above the organization. So typically, I mean, if I say to you, what do you do? You might say, well, I work with human synergistics and I do whatever. If you go to one of these folks and say, what do you do? They'll say, I'm a doctor or I'm a nurse mm. or I'm an ambo or I'm a fireman or whatever it might be. Mm. And so they don't think of themselves as belonging to an organization. So this creates all sorts of issues from a culture management point of view, because they see themselves almost as superordinate to the organization. Mm. Their interest is in themselves, not the organization itself. And that, again, begets that aggressive culture, which inevitably will play its way out one way or another in terms of bullying-type behavior and harassment, et cetera, which you're seeing with some of those organizations over the last 12 months uh, through 2018. Is it similar to the unions? Well, again, if the unions are political, yes. If it's a... Uh, reasonably constructive union that's looking to promote social change through organizational efforts? No. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I mean, those are two super common ones that we see 
a lot. Yeah. So it's interesting. And maybe the difference is that they're more, they're not as collective, I suppose, if they're not in a union, but. Yeah, well, these professions, as I say, I come back to these professions, see themselves as independent of the organisation. I, I remember once being absolutely stunned. Gosh, this goes back nearly 30 years, but I was working for a police force. Mm. And um, it's the only situation where I've seen a constable, low-level employee, able and willing to stand up in front of a large group of people and be openly critical of the commissioner who was sitting in the room. Now, you know, like that just wouldn't happen in a Telstra or a a bank or whatever. I mean, you Mm. you wouldn't do that. Even if you thought it sincerely, you still would not criticise the CEO in public. It's just Mm. not a norm, if you like, in Mm. typical organisation. But in these professional organisations, I'm able to do that. And the risk with that is that everybody thinks they're a damn expert at everything, and it makes that change extraordinarily difficult. Mm. But I guess, so what I'm getting off, so I, I, I like that, and we, we probably need to wrap it up, but some of what I've been taking away from this is that it brings in challenges. Yep. But fundamentally, you actually still have to do the same stuff. Yep. So fundamentally, we need to get people involved. Yep. Now, that's yep. probably comes with a bit more of a challenge. It does. <laughs> but... You know, you, you got to do it. Yeah. So, so you got to find a way to do that. And one of the ways of doing that is finding that common ground. Yep. So, what's a cultural issue that we can actually all get behind and support? Exactly. Yeah. So, my advice would be I mean, this is based on not knowing what's behind the particular question. But I think first, don't assume an adversarial response from the union, mm. go in with good, honest intent. If you don't get it, you're up and running. If you do get it, then develop some change management strategies around that. And keep in sort of, if you're not familiar with it, read about the strategies for adaptation to change and understand that resistance is actually a form of adaptation. So when I resist what you're presenting to me, my resistance is a part of actually trying to adapt to that difference. So look at it that way. The resistance is not necessarily a bad thing. It's natural for anything that feels threatened to resist that threat. Mm. And so how do we build in strategies for overcoming resistance, which may not just be the union, it may be employees, particularly in these professional organisations where people see themselves as being the role. And if you're looking to change that role, then you will get substantial resistance to that change. Mm. Yeah. So it's that kind of change curve stuff, isn't it? So you see it as the first step that you have to pass through. anyway and then that's a good way to frame it for yourself beautiful so and then the the final thing i took out was around the causal factors that actually you're all still the same but maybe you just have to be inventive and put them into your context of well what can you do in regards to those fantastic well uh thanks for your time sean pleasure i hope that helped our listener out there if you still have questions let us know or uh, let us know if it if it helped and if it works we'd love to hear Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. Thanks for being part of our amazing community. We can only do it together with yourself. So long for now. Hold up. 